0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, our live-streamed church services, and the podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael and the conclusion of his teaching in Psalm 91 about how to find peace in troubled times.
1: For you, verse 9, Psalm 91, have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. You've got to decide to make him your Lord. He is Lord, but you have to ask him to be your Lord, to be your king, to follow his kingdom. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near you. You know, I think we can stand on this promise and say, look, God is sovereign, Nothing is going to come into my life, but that first goes through his sovereign love. So we need to qualify and say, if the Lord permits something to happen, of course, he's sovereign. We got to see the psalm in the horizon of the entire Bible. We know hard things happened to Job. Hard things happened to Joseph. Of course, that was all on God's plan. And Jesus Christ, God's own son, think of Job, Joseph, and Jesus. Jesus was crucified and he was totally innocent. See, we can take refuge in the psalm that I'm going to be here as long as God wants me to be here. And if God permits something sovereignly into my life, then he did it for a reason and I'm still going to trust him. Because some people wonder, well, are these promises categorical? Well, I think what we need to do is see them within the horizon of the entire New Testament and Old Testament. This is from Spurgeon, and Spurgeon was 20 years old when he first ministered in London. Writers of the time say that the plague or cholera seemed to plague London almost every year, and people would die, and it's kind of an intestinal disorder, and it was scary. And this is what Spurgeon says, As we move into verses uh, 11 and 12, he says, Before expounding these verses, I cannot refrain from recording a personal incident illustrating their power to soothe the heart when they are applied by the Holy Spirit. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, he was about 20, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera. My congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten and almost every day I was called to visit the grave. I gave myself with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick and was sent from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have me laid Low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when my curiosity led me to read a paper that was up in a shoemaker's window in the Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore in a good, bold handwriting these words. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The effect upon my heart, says Spurgeon, was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil. I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Have you ever had that happen to you before? Just in the moment where you need that word, that word comes. And on that promise, it's like another layer layer of God's armor has been placed upon you and over your soul and you can carry on and you can go forward In confidence. I will say to you though that Charles Spurgeon, that I just quoted to you, suffered from ill health for many years. He was tormented by gout, rheumatism, Bright's disease, a historical description of a range of kidney problems, and many of you know that Spurgeon suffered from despairing depression. And yet he carried on. He died at the age of 57. And he died of his last disease. But God sovereignly used those years that had been ordained for his life to preach the word of God. When Spurgeon died at 57, he had uh, an impact like few people over history. When he died in Mentone in Switzerland, more than 100,000 people lined the streets for the passing of his funeral cordage. Every shop along the route closed its doors out of respect for him. There were three days of services in his metropolitan tabernacle. One eyewitness wrote these words. It was a a wonderful and never-to-be-forgotten sight that passed through the London streets on Thursday, the 11th, February 1892. Nothing was seen for miles but bare heads, closed blinds, and universal signs of grief and sorrow. It was indeed a memorable scene. What a lesson that Bible-decked coffin preached to its tens of thousands as it passed through their midst. All classes, all creeds, all parties joined in their voice of mourning. The orphan children sang their last hymn to their beloved father as they bore out... uh, out of their sight, he bore out of their sight forever. He helped so many people. He helped orphans. He preached the word. On the Tuesday, more than 60,000 people passed through the chapel where Spurgeon's coffin lay in state at the final service on Thursday. There was addresses by well-known folks, but a sign of how widely Spurgeon was respected, the benediction was given by the Bishop of Rochester. Spurgeon was prone to depression throughout his life, but he did not fear death. He preached on dying often and spoke of the Christian's eternal hope. This is the last part. The best moment of a Christian's life is his last one, said Spurgeon, because it is the one that is nearest heaven. It is not a loss to die. It is a lasting perpetual gain. All the glories of midday are eclipsed by the marvels of sunset. And poignantly and aptly in his case, he who learns to die daily while he lives will find no difficulty to breathe out his last, breathe out his soul for, his last, for the last time. You see, folks, God is sovereign over our lives and He, our times are in his hands. And you're going to be safe and secure until he decides to take you home. And even when he takes you home, you're going to truly be under the shelter of his wings. Amen? So as a Christian, we don't have to fear. I know there's a lot of things to be uh, maybe frazzled about right now, but my prayer is that you'll find your peace and refuge in him. A few more verses. Verse 11. He will give his angels, notice plural, angels charge concerning you. Some of you say, because I need more than one angel, right? <laughs> I've heard about a guardian angel, but I need plural angels, man, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now I won't have you turn there. But I will tell you, and for many of you, you, you you're already hearing this, that these verses were quoted in Matthew 4, and you can write down Luke 4, 5 through 7, by Satan to Jesus. In Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, as he went out and was tempted by the devil for 40 days, the angels were ministering to him, Mark 1, 13 and 14. Satan quoted Psalm 91. But here's what he said. He said, if you're, since you're the Son of God, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because it is written. He will give you his angels charge over you. Literally you could put it this way. So you won't even stub your toe. Go ahead and jump off. And the implication is God's not being true to his promises. Maybe he's not being true to Psalm 91, Jesus. And this may be more evidence that Psalm 91 is a messianic Psalm about the Messiah. Throw yourself down because and then Satan quotes the Bible. Isn't Satan strategic? He can even quote the Bible. And maybe, maybe some of you are saying, yeah, but look at the world right now. And, and look at my own pain and, and sorrow. Maybe these promises aren't true. And Satan swoops in. But remember, Jesus responded. He said, Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God, remember, to the test. Jesus answered Satan's misapplication of Scripture, and maybe even a misquote. He left a part out. But he misapplied it. We don't test the Lord our God. Here's a big lesson, Bible students, Christian. Always take Scripture with Scripture so that you don't pull Scriptures out of context and end up testing the Lord. You see, we have precious and magnificent promises here, but we also have to see them within taking scripture with scripture. This is what exposition is all about. It's taking scripture with scripture, making sure that you take a Bible verse with another Bible verse and make sure you got it right so that you don't end up being like some of the brethren in our country who've handled snakes and said, oh, if the snake bites me, nothing will happen to me. End of Mark 16. No, you don't test the Lord. You don't do foolish things and then say, oh Lord, get me out of it. There's a promise here about something like that. And Satan is strategic because he's coming to Jesus as if to say, you don't need to take the way of suffering. You don't need the cross. This is what we might call satanic exposition of the scriptures. We need to make sure we understand our Bibles, brethren. Because even in the last days, the Bible says that the Antichrist will come with false and lying signs and wonders. And if it were possible, he could even mislead the elect. Know your Bible. Test all things and hold fast to that which is true and good. Final verses. You will tread upon the lion and cobra. These are traditional uh, symbols of evil and danger. The young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Romans sixteen twenty says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment.
1: As you know, the coronavirus pandemic has forced local and state governments to make some regulations to keep people safe. That means Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California, the church behind Walk in Truth, where Michael Lance serves as senior pastor, must resort to live streaming their Wednesday night and Sunday morning services. Many churches are having to face the same shutdown to abide by social distancing regulations. If your church is unable to live stream their service, we invite you to fellowship with us from the comfort of your home during this unfortunate time. Visit walkintruth.com and click on church. That's walkintruth.com. Click on church.
0: Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth.
1: This is what exposition is all about it's taking scripture with scripture making sure that you take a bible verse with another bible verse and make sure you got it right so that you don't end up being like some of the brethren in our country who've handled snakes and said oh if the snake bites me nothing will happen to me end of mark 16 no you don't test the lord you don't do foolish things and then say oh lord get me out of it there's a promise here about something like that And Satan is strategic because he's coming to Jesus as if to say, you don't need to take the way of suffering. You don't need the cross. This is what we might call satanic exposition of the scriptures. We need to make sure we understand our Bibles, brethren. Because even in the last days, the Bible says that the Antichrist will come with false and lying signs and wonders. And if it were possible, he could even mislead the elect. Know your Bible. Test all things and hold fast to that which is true and good. Final verses. You will tread upon the lion and cobra. These are traditional uh, symbols of evil and danger. The young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Romans sixteen twenty says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And lastly, the last few verses are the voice of the Lord himself. So we've had the seasoned believer, maybe these middle verses 3 through 13 are encouragement to a younger believer to hang on, to seek shelter in the Lord. And these last few sweet verses are from God himself. As if God steps onto the stage to affirm what's been said. This is, you could say, divine frosting on the cake if I could put it this way. He says, the Lord says, because, 14, he has loved me, ESV, he holds fast to me in love, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high to a place of safety because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him, notice, in trouble. And I will rescue and honor him. Notice, it's because you love the Lord. The Lord works all things together for good to those who love him. Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Our lives are to love him. And when we love him and we're in relationship with him, that's when these promises we can say are ours, no matter what may come our way. Jesus... uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, the psalmist says, call upon me, the voice of the Lord here. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. A practical application is, First John says, if we say that we love God, then we should love our neighbor. And so our love will be borne out, of course, in our actions. Final verse. 16, with a long life, I will satisfy him. In the Lord, you'll find contentment, true satisfaction. And let him behold my salvation. You know, there's this idea in this psalm that we're going to see God in the judgment day, maybe see what happens to those who don't know him. But we're also going to behold his salvation. The word for salvation at the end of this psalm is interesting. It's the word Yeshua. It's the name Jesus. And one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. And right now we haven't seen him, but we love him. Simeon, when he got to hold Jesus, remember in Luke 2 in the temple, he says, Now I can die in peace for my eyes have seen, I beheld thy salvation. When the folks in the New Testament heard Jesus preach and saw him, they beheld God's salvation, Yeshua. And this promise of long life is a promise that was given to Old Testament saints for obedience to the law. And I don't know how long each of us are going to live. That's in God's sovereign hands. But I know we can live well. We can spend our days living for what really matters. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to be there forever. God has been really good to us. A final quote from Spurgeon. With long life I will satisfy him. The man described in this psalm fills out the measure of his days Whether he dies young or old, he is quite satisfied with life. Can't help but think of Jim Elliot. And is content to leave it. He shall rise from life's banquet as a man who has had enough. And would not have more even if he could. And show him my salvation. The full sight of divine grace shall be his closing vision. He shall look from Amana and Lebanon. Not with destruction before him black as night. But with salvation bright as noonday, smiling upon him, he shall enter into his rest. Underneath us are the everlasting arms. And one day, we're going to be at his feet. I don't know if I'm going to dance. I don't know if I'll be able to even say anything. But I'm going to see my salvation, my Jesus. My Jesus, my Savior, there's none like you. As we close uh, today, I know I'm speaking to a lot of believers as we've studied Psalm 91, but I also want to encourage you, if you're not sure that you found shelter underneath his everlasting arms, if you're not sure that you found that place of true peace in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he's a prayer away. But he wants you to make him your Lord, your King, your Savior, your God. And his arms are open. And he bids you to come, but you must come. Would you come? Would you join me in prayer? If you're not a Christian, something like this, a decision that you make, Lord Jesus, would you save me? I'm going to run for refuge to you. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for rising and defeating death. Thank you for being at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for drawing me to yourself. I confess you, I'm going to speak it out loud, you're my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King, save me. If you're a prodigal, you've been a straying sheep or a wandering little chick or bird, and you've wandered from the place of safety, come back home. He'll, he'll invite you back. He's, the story of the prodigal comes to mind, man. He, he'll say, I'm, I'm going to throw a party. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. And if you're a saint and you're going through some tough times, I pray that you'll be spending some time in Psalm 91, finding refuge and strength there and finding hope and peace. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the technology that's allowed us to uh, broadcast the hope and truth of the gospel to all people. I pray that you would bring your healing waters upon this land, upon this world, upon your church as we turn to you afresh, oh God. Have mercy. I pray that you would lift these times soon as we look forward to uh, Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday morning. <laughs> we know that you rose in the darkest of times to defeat death. We know that you're a God who defeats the grave and even when it looked the most glum and the most difficult and dark your light shone through that tomb and the rock was rolled away and you arose victorious just as you said you would oh god as we look forward to resurrection sunday may you bring resurrection power renewal to our land to our churches to our hearts in jesus name and all god's people say amen we love you
0: You're listening to Finding Peace in Troubled Times, Part 3 on Walk in Truth, the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 91. Hey, I'd like to let you know that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Some of our church family and listeners like you have committed to helping this ministry remain on the radio and podcast. Hey, we know times are uncertain right now and a little scary too, so we're not asking for much, but whatever you can give is a huge help. Our broadcast covers more than 150 cities in five states, and our podcast reaches people around the world. What a blessing it is, you guys. Imagine if everyone listening right now who's never given before gave today. We're asking, would you please donate $5 today? That's it. No more. Just $5. Please donate now by visiting walkintruth.com and clicking on Donate. That's walkintruth.com and click on Donate. Thank you guys so much for believing in this ministry. Now, here's Pastor Michael.
1: So you may be asking, well, how do I find peace in troubled times? Here we are in troubled times. And maybe this is a question that you've never really asked before. You may be a brand new listener to Christian radio, and maybe you stumbled on this dial, or maybe you finally decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen in because, man, do I need some peace right now. It's certainly times of uncertainty. How do you find peace? troubled times. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is our peace. That's what Christians believe, that no matter what's going on in the world, we can find peace in Jesus, whether the times are good or bad, whether the times are, you know, kind of okay or um, terrific. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is our peace. And the battle is not yours, my friend. In fact, the battle has been won. Jesus has died and resurrected. He's already fought and won the ultimate battle. The most important thing is to make sure you're on his team. Make sure you're on the winning side. Follow Jesus and follow him today. Hey, well, this morning as you've tuned in to Walk in Truth Radio, and for some of you this may be part of your normal Sunday morning listening Many of you are driving to church, you're on a worship team, you're uh, part of a pastoral staff, or you serve as a Sunday school teacher, all of the above, and much, much more. And maybe Walk in Truth has been part of your drive, or as you get ready to go serve at your fellowship, but you can't go, <laughs> because I don't think any churches are meeting their buildings, uh, but you can join us if you'd like, if you'd like some extra encouragement You'd like to join us for our live stream this morning at 10 a.m. to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, Jesus is alive, and because he lives, we will live also. Join us at 10 a.m. this morning. Tune in, tell a friend, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You may say, Pastor Michael, how do I get there? It's walkintruth.com. Click on the church tab. You'll get to our YouTube page. Subscribe, click on the bell, share it, and let's celebrate and revel in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll catch you then. God bless you.
0: Come back tomorrow for Pastor Michael's encouraging message in Second Chronicles 20 with a reminder that the battle is not yours. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to reach out with God's truth to encourage, teach, and bless you during a time of hardship.